0: Well, we are beginning today, as Chris already said, a, a short Advent series. Now, for any of you who are very familiar with the church calendar, you might want to point out to me, this is not Advent Sunday. We're not there yet. It doesn't start till next week. I know. I know it doesn't start till next week, but I couldn't wait to get started I couldn't wait to get started for two reasons. Firstly, I absolutely love Christmas, and I love Advent and the lead-up to Christmas. And we're going to talk about that a little bit together in a moment. I'm too excited to hold off another week, essentially. But the second reason is that I would really love you to have the words that we're going to read and the things we're going to consider together today ringing in your ears when you open that door on the Advent calendar to get your first chocolate on the 1st of December. See, I really do love this time of year. I love celebrating Christmas. I particularly like some of the food associated with this time of year. I know that for myself, I can easily get caught up in the cultural trappings around Christmas. I know I can easily get caught up in the excitement of all of those things. I I like having the fire on more often. I like the traditions that we have as a family, hanging up stockings. I like putting the tree up and the decorations. I enjoy all of those things. In fact, actually, To tell the truth, given the chance, I can get quite carried away. But Advent isn't just about that, is it? And I want us to spend some time over the next weeks reminding ourselves what this is really all about. See, Advent is actually a time of waiting, of preparation. Waiting... And preparation and eager expectation for the coming of Jesus. Or for us to celebrate the coming of Jesus. The celebration of Emmanuel. Like James prayed out earlier. God with us. God come to rescue us. God come to seek and save the lost. To bring people back into right relationship with himself and with one another. Advent then is a time for us to consider again what it means for us to make room for Jesus in our lives. And over the next few weeks in the lead up to Christmas and our Christmas services, we're going to do this mini series. And my hope as we do is that we will be able to wait well this Christmas time together. We will be able to prepare well As we focus on the real reason that we celebrate. And for the first two weeks of this series, we're going to focus on two characters in the first chapter of Luke's gospel who had to wait. Who had to wait well for the arrival of the Messiah. And they're two characters between whom there are some very significant contrasts. But Luke sits them right next to each other in chapter one so that we can see those contrasts very clearly. Deliberate. There are striking parallels as well in their stories. Again, they're sat right next to each other so that we see these parallels and these contrasts very starkly. Both our characters are visited by the angel Gabriel. Both of them are promised the miraculous birth of a son. Both of them are equally unfit to have a child. Zechariah's wife is barren and Mary is a virgin. One is a law-abiding, married old man, a temple priest with a good family heritage. And the other is a young and actually obscure single woman who has no power, no position in society. In fact, actually, when we first read about her in Luke's gospel, the most notable thing that we find about her, at least initially, is who she's engaged to. These are very contrasting characters. One is, in many respects, a powerful man with authority and position and standing, and Mary is the polar opposite. They are very contrasting characters. One of the other contrasts that we'll see as the angel Gabriel speaks to them is that one is commended for their faith. Probably not the one you might expect from everything else you know about these two characters. And the other actually is disciplined by God for doubting Yet both are used by God in his wisdom to bring about his plans and purposes. And so today we're going to begin by looking at Zechariah and his part in the story. And then next week we're going to move on and look at Mary. So we'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5 through to verse 20. And then we'll pick up again in verse 57 through to 66. The way we're going to do it today is we'll read a few verses, we'll pause. Talk about it, move on, read a few more. So we read from Luke 1, 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Luke loves detail, I really enjoy the Gospel of Luke, it's packed full of interesting details, he gives us loads of it, context, places, people, all setting the scene, helping us understand what's going on, and he writes, when? In the time of Herod, king of Judea, well that might not mean very much to us, but actually it's the way ancient historians dated things, they didn't count years the way we do. They told you when something happened by referring to significant political events or who was in power. Well, Herod reigned from 37 BC to 4 BC. So we're in that window. Luke makes it clear. This is when it happened. <clears throat> Somewhere in there. Who? Zachariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth had a great family heritage. He's quick to tell us. Descendants of Aaron. Who's Aaron? Well, Aaron, Moses' brother. Aaron was instrumental in the Exodus. The liberation of God's people from slavery in Egypt. Aaron was appointed by God to be the first chief priest over Israel. They've got some real family heritage. Zachariah was a priest in the temple. That puts him instantly in good standing in society. They're respectable people. We're told that they were righteous in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, the statutes of the Lord. Blamelessly. So, to some, Luke wants us to be very clear. Zechariah is a married man, a temple priest, and according to Luke, he is morally impeccable. This is an upright, respectable man. So far, so good. In fact, Zechariah, on the surface, Seems to be precisely the sort of person that we can be inclined to think God would use. He's good. He's moral. He's got standing. This is the kind of person, if we're honest, we tend to look at and think, oh, God could really use them. Like, well. Oh. But Luke adds another detail. From verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. This is significant detail and actually would be significant heartache for them. They hadn't conceived because Elizabeth had been unable to and now they were both very old, meaning they were past it in terms of their ability to have children. Culturally, we have to get our heads into this. The amount of shame this would have brought on them as a couple was huge because being childless in that society was considered a judgment from God. The irony for this couple who Luke has just told us were obedient to the Lord, blameless, yet to everyone looking in, there's the question mark. Well, I mean, why haven't you had kids? Like, what is in your closet? What are you hiding? This is judgment from God for some reason. Their childlessness, there wasn't a result of sin or God's judgment on them for something. <clears throat> Instead, actually, as we'll see, their childness was all, childlessness was all part of God's plan. And you know, Jenny and I feel very grateful to God that we've been able to have the children we have. But we have numbers of friends who've struggled for years to conceive and some who've been completely unable to do so. Others who have conceived and lost child after child and gone through the pain and heartache. You know, in this culture, that is hard, isn't it? Anyone in this room who's been through that or knows someone who's been through that will understand the pain and the heartache. The agony of waiting and longing for the arrival of a baby that never comes. It would have been no less emotionally difficult for Zachariah and Elizabeth. And actually, if anything, in a culture where barrenness was viewed as a sign of God's judgment, it would have been even harder for them. The pain for them must have been intense at times, yeah? The shame, the assumption of others, the quote-unquote helpful comments of friends. Are you sure you haven't done something wrong? Have you offered the right sacrifices? You are sure have you checked, you know, to make sure there's no generational stuff going on? Maybe this is for the sins of your parents or their parents. Have you? Are you sure? He tells us they were blameless, and they knew they were. Yet people's perception was what people's perception was. Imagine walking with that. And finally getting to the age, having waited all that time where they would have given up hope. Well, it's not going to happen now. Hope gone. Maybe there are things that you've long prayed for, waited for, hoped for, that haven't come to pass Perhaps you know something of Zachariah and Elizabeth's pain. Maybe there are people who you've prayed for time and time again. Longed for them to come to faith. And yet still they walk away from God. Maybe you've begun to give up hope. I want to encourage you to trust that God has a plan in the waiting. He's working in the waiting. You know, a baby wasn't the only thing that Zachariah and Elizabeth had been waiting for. And they weren't alone in this. The whole nation of Israel had been waiting. Waiting for hundreds of years for the arrival of the promised Messiah. The one who would come and rescue them. Repeatedly God had spoken through his prophets to the people in the Old Testament. But now for the last 400 years they had waited in silence. No prophecy. No restating of the promise. Just waiting. Waiting and praying for the long-awaited Messiah to come. And while they waited seeing the Roman Empire rise up. bring increasing restriction and oppression to become an occupied people. Waiting, waiting. I wonder, had they begun to lose hope? I'd guess so. Zachariah and Elizabeth had lost hope of ever having a child. And the other thing that they had long awaited along with the rest, of the nation of Israel, of the promised Messiah, they had probably too begun to lose hope that he would ever come, that they would ever know freedom. We read on from verse eight. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. What is this about? They're waiting. They're waiting together. Now, scholars estimate that there were anywhere between 12,000 and 85,000 priests at that point in time that's a lot split into 24 divisions who served two times each year you're not on duty a lot and there's a lot of you when you are in fact actually even with the lowest estimate of there being 12,000 priests that means there were 500 on duty with zachariah that day and they drew lots to see who would go in and offer incense. With those kind of statistics, it is possible, in fact, it is very probable that Zachariah has never been called before to go and offer incense during the prayers. There were priests who waited their whole life and were never chosen by lot to go and offer incense. And yet this day, this year, in the sovereignty of God, Zachariah was chosen. See, Luke is helping us to see here. He wants us to be very clear. It is no accident that Zachariah is where he is, when he is, and who he is. God chose him and Elizabeth for this all their waiting all their heartache waiting for a baby that never came for zachariah waiting to be called to offer incense representing the prayers of the people waiting waiting for the messiah to come what were those prayers that were being offered when the incense went up there were prayers on behalf of israel for her salvation through the coming Messiah. That's what they were praying. It was more of the waiting. Waiting for the Messiah to come. And Zechariah was chosen to offer up the incense. Representing those prayers. And as he did, the most remarkable thing happened. After years and years and years of Waiting. We read from verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right hand of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. This is the usual response when people see an angel in the Bible. <clears throat> Just so we're clear. People don't go, oh, <laughs> like we tend to in our nativity plays. no. They fall back in awe, in wonder, in fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. The angel says, Zachariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. So, given the context, it's most likely that the prayer he was praying as he offered up the incest was the prayer that the Messiah would come. Lord, rescue your people, fulfill your promises. rise up the lion of the tribe of Judah the seed that we've been waiting for the one who'll crush the serpent's head 400 years of silence since the last prophecy that the Messiah would come was given and now an angel appears and says Your prayer has been heard, Zechariah. The end of waiting. He's coming. He's coming. And Zechariah, what's more, it's personal too. You and Elizabeth are going to have a son. Your prayer that you offer on behalf of the people has been heard. And your prayer that you and Elizabeth have long cried out has been heard you're going to have a son and your son would be the one prophesied by isaiah as you notice when the angel speaks to him he references isaiah he would be the one who will prepare the way of the lord the coming messiah that their son would bring about repentance, bring many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God. Zechariah had longed to see this dawn, and now he's told not only will he live to see it, but he and his wife are going to have a part in the story too that their son would prepare the way for the coming Messiah the angel declares an end to all the waiting an end to all the hope deferred waiting for a child, waiting for the Messiah and Zechariah, understandably I think struggles to believe what he's hearing just it's easy To be judgmental of Zachariah when you hear what he does. To be like, what an idiot. An angel just appeared to him. Why didn't he believe it? Just put yourself in his shoes. He's spent his whole life hope deferred. His whole life longing for a child. His whole life longing that the Messiah would come. And he now struggles to believe what he's hearing. <clears throat> Zechariah said to the angel, we read in verse 18, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He's like, Seriously, how's that going to happen? Like, give me a sign. <laughs> he said, How shall I know this? How can you verify that this is going to happen? Frankly, I'm not convinced. I want proof. He doesn't believe it's possible. Now what's interesting is that he does get a sign. I'm just pretty sure not the one he was hoping for. We read from verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Because he didn't believe Because he doubted. The sign he receives is that he's struck dumb. Having just been told, the waiting is over. The Messiah's coming. Your personal pain and waiting is over. You're going to have a son. He he can't tell anyone. He's unable to declare the good news to anyone. He would also now... As a mute, be unable to serve in the temple. So it would have been considered a a defect, a disability that would mean he wasn't considered clean and was unable to go and minister in the temple. After all this time of waiting, perhaps jaded by the years of unanswered prayer, Zachariah responds in disbelief and lack of faith. Surely not. We're too old. And as a result, God closes his mouth. What's interesting and I think encouraging about this is that Zachariah's disbelief doesn't change God's plans. Do you notice that? Zachariah's lack of faith doesn't derail God's plans. God's plans and purposes are not dependent on the measure of Zachariah's faith you need to know today God's plans and purposes are not dependent on the measure of your faith either. God is gracious and he works his plans out. Nothing will stop his plans being accomplished. Zachariah's lack of faith affects his ability to play part in God's plans being outworked. Yeah, If he'd have believed and was full of faith, this would have played out differently for him, wouldn't it? Imagine, after 400 years of silence, being able to be the one who went out and declared to everyone the Messiah's coming. Zechariah was unable to play his part, actually, in God's plans being outworked. but he couldn't stop God's plans coming to pass, and neither can you. You cannot blow God's plans. You can prevent yourself from participating in them, though. God doesn't switch to plan B. He doesn't say, all right, stuff you, Zachariah. I'm going to pick someone else. I could have chosen anyone. I chose you. You. And you didn't believe. Fine. I'll pick someone else. No, 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 no. He doesn't say, I'll choose someone who has more faith. No. God continues. He says, I'm going to use you, Zechariah, even through your lack of faith. In fact, actually, even more amazing, actually what God says is Zechariah... I'm going to even use your lack of faith to accomplish my purposes. Because as a result of Zachariah being struck dumb, when he is finally able to speak again, people are in awe. And that moment helps them grasp the reality that John is no ordinary child, that God's hand is on him. God uses even Zachariah's lack of faith, and the consequence of that for his glory, and for the good of the people who were there. We read on from verse 57. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him Zechariah after his father, But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father. I mean, it makes me laugh that bit. It's a funny detail. They made signs. I mean, he was dumb, not deaf. He could hear them. Anyway, they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name is John and they all wondered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him amazing right Zachariah's dumbness God miraculously loosing his tongue as they name the child has an impact So how about for us? Well, through these verses we see that God is working to bring about amazing things for his people even when their response is less than perfect. My guess is that at times your response is less than perfect. God is still at work. He is still faithful. Even when we are faithless, he will always work to that end. God was bringing about new things in the lives of those who love him. He was bringing about a new covenant with his people like we've been reading about in Hebrews over the last weeks. He was bringing about for them a new way to relate to God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He was putting things in place so that people would be ready to repent, ready to turn away from self-reliance and turn towards reliance on Jesus instead. God's plan was working out perfectly, just as it always does. This should give us real confidence. It should give us real confidence when we wait for God. Even if at times he still seems silent, he's working, working, bringing about his perfect and loving plan. God doesn't just send Jesus either. He sends John to prepare the people for him to come, to get them ready Jesus will return. He'll return to claim his bride, the church. He'll return to wrap up history, to make all things new for those who put their trust in him. And you, if you're a Christian, he's commissioned you, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, to be faithful and fruitful in the waiting. Did you know that? Well, we wait for his return. He's called us to be faithful in the waiting, just as they were faithful in the waiting. But he's also sent us, like John, to prepare people for his coming. John was sent to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. To say to people, get ready. Get ready, he's coming. Prepare your hearts to meet him. Get ready, repent. Turn to him. And in just the same way, he's sent us as Christians to say exactly the same things about the return of Christ. He's coming, get ready. Get your hearts ready to meet with him. To pray as Jesus taught us to. Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth and all of Israel, we're waiting. Waiting and praying. Come, Lord Jesus. Will you be ready for the answer? Your prayer has been heard. I don't know whether you've ever considered that. Zechariah and all of Israel had been waiting, longing. I don't know to what extent maybe you've begun to give up hope about the return of Christ. Maybe you feel like, oh gosh, but it's been 2,000 years already it's been a long time it's been a long wait yeah the Roman Empire hasn't risen up like it did around the people of Israel but phew, there's wars rumors of wars it's mess and we can easily find ourselves losing hope just as some of them would have done is he ever going to return I want to encourage you again to be faithful in the waiting, to not give up, but to continue to cry out. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come. Come quickly, Lord. We're longing for your return. We're waiting for your return, that glorious day when you're going to come and make all things new, when you'll wipe away every tear from every eye. Come, Lord Jesus. We're waiting just as they were. Don't give up hope in the waiting. But I want to encourage you to consider, how are you waiting? Are you waiting well? Or are you just kind of coasting? See, we're not actually called to a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. Eager, expectant, waiting. Doing everything we can to share the gospel with those around us. In the hope and expectation that some will respond to him. That hearts would be prepared for his return. There's also an, an eager and active waiting in our own lives and hearts that we would be ready for his return that we wouldn't be caught sleeping but actually that we'd be those who are found waiting eager longing there's a lesson for us too from Zachariah about playing our part responding in faith and not doubt I want to encourage you again to not miss out on what God might want to do through you because you think it seems impossible. Zachariah's role ended up restricted because he didn't respond in faith. While we wait, we've got work to do, haven't we? From the moment Jesus ascended until the moment he returns, the main way that men and women are gonna encounter Jesus and find life and hope and freedom in him, is through the witness and engagement of his people, the church, you and me. Make no mistake, Jesus is building his church. God's plans are being outworked. His kingdom is advancing. And that's not gonna stop. God is outworking his plans. He's calling people from every tribe and tongue and nation to himself. And he's going to continue to do that until the day he returns. But his desire is for you to partner with him in that. It's for you to respond in faith and join him in that. So I want to play my part. I believe that you can use me. I believe that some of my friends and neighbors could come to Saving Faith. And so I want to play my part in that. We've got a choice though, how we respond. See, we could respond with in doubt. God would never use me like that. I don't have the words. I just I don't know what to say. He couldn't use me. Nothing will happen if I pray for them. So what's the point? And as a result, we can live with our mouths closed. Or we have another possibility, which is that we respond in faith. We step out and see if God meets us in that moment. We step out and pray for people when they say they're sick. It's scary, right? It is scary. When I, like, I'm not not standing here saying like I've got this all nailed. I find it scary sometimes offering to pray for my friends who don't know Jesus. Like, even last week, a good friend of mine who he, he knows what I do, he knows I'm a Christian. We've talked quite a lot, but he's strongly opposed. At this point in time. But I keep praying for him. And then he came to me a couple of weeks ago. With some serious health issues. Scans and checks and tests. He was having to go for. And he was scared. About what at that point in time. The doctors thought was going on in his body. And I genuinely chickened out. In my first conversation with him. Of offering to pray for him. And I suppose I did for two reasons. One, because I thought he might be offended if I offered to pray for him, which was probably really just me being too scared to get on with it. And two, because I just thought, prayed for people loads of times with that kind of thing, and nothing changes. And I let that hope deferred. The waiting and never seeing the outcome. Hold me back. Then a couple of days later, I did speak to him again. And I did offer to pray for him. And I did pray with him. And whether it was the result of that prayer. Or that the doctors were more concerned than they needed to be. Gloriously, his scans came back clear. Which is great. But I understand that sometimes we can want to hold back but I want to encourage you to pray for the sick with expectation and see what God might do I want to encourage you to pray for opportunities to share the gospel with those around you and to take those opportunities when they come and see what God might do don't let your past experience of seemingly unanswered prayers affect your choice to go for it again. They'd been waiting 400 years for the coming of the Messiah. God's faithful to fulfill his promises. Zachariah and Elizabeth had been waiting long beyond childbearing years for a son. God was faithful to fulfill his promises. We've been waiting over 2,000 years for Christ to return and make all things new. I tell you what, God's faithful to fulfill his promises. He will come. He will come. And while we wait, we want to wait faithfully. Yeah? Yeah? I'm going to pray for us, and then Chris will...